We open God's word this morning, the letter of Paul, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We are going to read 1 Corinthians 15, uh, two passages from that chapter, verse 1 to 20, and then verse 50 to 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the word of God. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, In accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of all the apostles and worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And now we'll skip to verse 50. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is our scripture reading. And uh, the text for the sermon this morning is the last verse that we read, verse 58. I'll read it again with you. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, two weeks ago we celebrated Easter. Easter arguably the most important event in the history of the world. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was the first time in the history of mankind that the human being was able to break the power of death and that had the promise that those who belong to him will experience that same awesome Victory. May I ask you a question? Have you reflected on the significance of Easter during this past week? Easter has practical consequences if we believe that it is a fact that Jesus, our Lord, is alive, that he arose from the dead, that he is alive today, that he is there for us, it has practical consequences. It must have practical consequences for our daily life. And we are going to look at that this morning with this one verse, 26 words. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the theme could be summarized as follows. It's about putting Easter into practice. And we focus on those three uh, key concepts. It's about being steadfast in our faith that Christ has risen. It's about being abounding in the work of the Lord. And expectant, that we expect that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So it's a short text. We can look at every word. Therefore, my beloved brothers, let's look at those words first. Therefore, my beloved brothers. Paul, the apostle, has addressed the readers in Corinth as brothers quite a few times already. 
And now he says, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers. So you feel this is special now. There is some emotion involved here. He is going to say something that's really important that comes straight from the heart and that's meant to, to be personal to all the readers and to us this morning. Now, who were these beloved brothers? Well, if you read through the letter, you find some remarkable things. In the early chapters, you find that in this church in Corinth, there were some divisions. They were not united. There was some wrangling, some fighting going on, parties in the church. Then halfway through the letter, chapter 5, you find that there were some in the congregation who were living in sin. And even proud of it. Not ashamed. And in the later chapters, 12, 13, 14, you find that they were struggling with some issues in faith that they had trouble to understand. How does it work with the work of the Spirit and spiritual gifts? And how should we do our worship? And things like that. So, a lot could be mentioned about this church in Corinth, but you get the idea. This was not really a perfect or a model church where you say, well, that's just a fantastic church. Everything is going fine there. They are all united and they have a clear vision about everything. That was not the case. And yet, the Apostle Paul speaks very highly of them. In the first chapter, when he begins his letter, verse 4, he says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And he, he goes on, but you get the idea. There was a lot that was not right in this church, but Paul gives thanks because he can see that the Lord loves them and that the Lord, the Lord is working among them. And Paul loves them too. That's why he says, my beloved brothers. And the sisters are included in that. And I, I think we can look at our congregation the same way. I'm, I do not know your congregation, really. I'm only a guest preacher, but you know your congregation. And maybe we also have different opinions about certain things. That's quite possible. And I'm sure there is still sin that needs to be fought in our, in our lives and that we are struggling with. And I'm sure there are still faith issues that we grapple with and how should we understand this and that and the other thing. I'm going to assume this morning, brothers and sisters, that when you have to give an evaluation of your congregation here, that you would also say, well, we are not perfect. But by God's grace, we may consider ourselves to be a beloved congregation. We are beloved. All these people together as we are sitting here. My beloved brothers, loved by the Lord. Now, what is the message for people like these and for people like you and me? Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Let us focus on those two words to begin with. 
to be steadfast and immovable. What is he talking about? Steadfast, you understand the word. You stand where you stand. You sit where you sit. You're not going to be moved around. Immovable, the same thing. You're not going to be pushed around. You, where you are, that's where you are. You stand firm. You don't allow yourself to be pushed around. But still the question is, in what sense? What are the things that we should stand firm in? Is Paul saying that you should never change your opinion about something? No, he's not saying that you should be stubborn. He's also not saying the opposite. He's not saying just be flexible about everything. No, be steadfast, immovable, but again, in what? Well, it helps that we read the whole chapter, and if we go back to the beginning, that's why I read it with you, he uses that same terminology. He says, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The gospel in which you stand. Now, that's what he's talking about. Be steadfast in the gospel. Be immovable in the gospel. Now, chapter 15, we didn't have time to read the whole chapter. It is a wonderful chapter. It is a highlight in the New Testament. It's like 1 Corinthians 13. We all know that, the chapter about love. Chapter 15, the chapter about the resurrection. A wonderful chapter. Let me quickly summarize it for you. Because that is the faith that Paul is talking about, that we should stand firm in. What, is, what has he been saying? Three things. The first thing he has been saying is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It happened. That's why he mentioned those people to whom the Lord appeared. Simon Peter, the apostles, 500 brothers at one and the same time. James, the apostles again, and then to Paul himself. And he doesn't mention everybody even. For example, he doesn't mention the two men that were on the road to Emmaus. So the Lord was really dead. He was buried. He was dead. But on the third day, he came out of the, de- out of the grave. He's risen. And Paul says, people... I can testify to this. I have seen him. He appeared to me. He spoke to me. I thought he was dead, but then he appeared to me and he spoke to me. He is really alive. So that's the first thing. Jesus Christ is alive. It's a fact. And it is such a remarkable fact that, oh, we know that's what we remember with at Easter Sunday. But... Brothers and sisters, let it sink in again that Jesus Christ was dead and then he's risen from the grave. He is alive even today. That's the first thing. The second thing that Paul has been emphasizing in this chapter is that all those who believe in Christ will also be raised from the dead. 
How can some of you say, if Christ is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? No, if Christ is raised, all those who belong to him will also be raised. Christ is the first fruits. That's what he says. And when Christ comes back, all those who belong to him will also be raised from the dead. Wonderful. There's one more thing that Paul explains in this chapter, and that is about the resurrection body that we will receive. It will not, we will receive a true body at that wonderful day, but it's not like the body that we have today. Now we have a, what he calls a natural body. On that day we will receive a real body, but it's a spiritual body, different from the one that we have today. What we have today, our bodies are perishable, he says. We are mortal, we are perishable. When Christ comes back and we receive eternal life, we will receive new bodies. It's still my body, it's your body, it's you, it's me, but it will be an imperishable body. A wonderful truth. There is some mystery involved. Who can understand these things? And we don't know exactly how this will be. But this much we know, death is swallowed up in victory. God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. So this chapter is a wonderful chapter in the New Testament. What is revealed here changes everything. Because when you, when you hear this and when you believe this, you have a different view of life. Because this life is not all there is. There is gonna be a resurrection and we are going to receive an imperishable body. And that's important, brothers and sisters, because we live in a society where more and more people believe that there is no life after death and there will be no resurrection of the dead. And that has consequences for your life, choices. People make choices. For example, more and more people in Canada choose cremation instead of burial. I read recently that the percentage of cremations in Canada has gone up from 50% about 20 years ago to 75% today. Another example, more and more people choose what is called MAID, M-A-I-D, medical assistance in dying. When they feel that their bodies are getting weaker and they don't want all the suffering and they well, okay, it's over. There's nothing left after death, so we might as well end it today. So what you believe has consequences for life choices. And as Christians, we stand alone in our belief that there is a resurrection of the dead. And so Paul's exhortation is really important. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, in your faith that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and that we too will rise from the dead. I'm thinking here of our young people. Some of you, or maybe many of you, will be going to places after high school. Maybe you go to college or university or even the job site. Your faith is going to be unique, probably. It might even be attacked. 
And you can be flexible in many things, but you need to stand firm in this faith. And you always have to defend it and stir, stand by it. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive. And we who belong to him will be made alive as well. We will live even though we die. That's quite a faith. It's quite something to say. It's quite something to believe. Paul says, be steadfast, immovable in that faith. But brothers and sisters, maybe we need to bring it even closer yet. If the Lord Jesus Christ is really alive, and if we expect those things to happen in the future, it's not just about the future. If he is alive, it must have an impact on our life today. I was thinking about this myself I, as I was working on this sermon. And I was asking myself the question, is it part of my everyday life that the Lord Jesus is alive? You can think here of those words that the Lord spoke to his disciples. And he, he said those words before he went to heaven. He said, I'm going to go to the Father's house and I'm going to prepare places for you. You will stay behind, but abide in me. Remarkable thing to say. I'm going to go to heaven. You stay behind. Abide in me. How does that work? How can we abide in you when you're in heaven and we are here? But that's the point. Jesus Christ is alive. He is divine. He never leaves us according to his divinity, his majesty, his, his grace, and, and his Holy Spirit. So that Jesus is alive, brothers and sisters, must be something that we think about that every day. Let me put it like this. Do not let a day pass by that we do not have contact with the risen Lord. Do not let a day pass by that you don't have contact with the risen Lord Jesus. It should be something existential, something that we experience every day. That's the first issue in our text, brothers and sisters. Be steadfast and immovable in your faith that Jesus Christ is alive. Let it be very practical and that it be part and parcel of your daily walk of faith. Have you, may I ask the question, have you experienced it yet? If not, do not rest until you have found it. Have you perhaps lost it? Was there perhaps a time and you analyzed your life? There was a time that I was closer to the Lord. And somehow I have drifted from him. It can happen in the Christian's life. Have you grown distant from the Lord? Do not rest until you have found your way back to him. Make sure you meet the risen one every day. That's the first thing that Paul is writing to us here. Be steadfast, immovable. We go to the second. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So when you believe that Christ is risen, that he is alive, 
It will cause you to be active in his service, in the work of the Lord. Let us look for a moment at that expression, the work of the Lord. What is he talking about? Well, maybe when you hear those words, the work of the Lord, maybe you think immediately of the work of the minister, a minister who is preaching here on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. He's doing the work of the Lord, right? And that is true. That is the work of the Lord. Maybe you think of the work of elders who do home visits, open, their, open the Bible and speak to you about faith, life in, in faith. Yeah, that is work of the Lord. But when Paul uses the expression here, always be abounding in the work of the Lord, he's writing to everybody, not just to pastors and elders. The work of the Lord is broad. And in the previous chapters, 12, 13, and 14, Paul has explained that all the members in the church, all Christians, have received spiritual gifts, which we can use and which we ought to use for the upbuilding of the other believers. So the work of the Lord is not restricted to what office bearers do. Their work is very important, but the work of the Lord is, is anything that happens in the church for the upbuilding of the believers. And it's about using gifts that the Lord gives to all of us, maybe wisdom or insight of discernment, or maybe you can speak to others and encourage, or maybe you can just serve others and help them, or maybe you can organize, or maybe you can do some visits. There is no one in the congregation who does not have some kind of gift, and most of us really have more than just one gift. So when we hear these words about being active in the work of the Lord, realize that the risen Lord Jesus is Lord of your life. He takes you into his service. He becomes your master, your taskmaster, and he is going to give you an assignment or even more than just one assignment in his project of building his church. Now, Paul says, when we talk about the work of the Lord, be always abounding in it. And he says that to you and me, to all of us, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So this is about your attitude. It's about putting your heart and soul into it. Don't be a minimalist. Don't be like, well, I'll do something so that at least I do something, but not much. No, throw yourself into the work of the Lord. Enjoy, go for it. You see, uh, you know, people are different, right? You see it on the job site. Um, let's say the shift ends at 4.30 in the afternoon. You have those employees who watch their, the, the clock and, okay, it's almost 4.30, I need to pack my things so that 4.30, I can be on my way out of the door. Then there are other employees. They say, well, hmm, it's almost 4.30, but let me finish this one project. Let me send this email, or let me just finish this. Uh, I'll go home a little bit later. It's fine. If you were an employer, which one of those two would you want to be working for you? 
you know the answer. You want to have employees, you want to have colleagues who love what they are doing and who put their heart and soul into their work. Now, Paul says, put your heart and soul into the work of the Lord. Don't be a minimalist. Remember that Jesus Christ gave up everything in order to give us salvation. And if you believe that Jesus did that for you, to give you a share in his inheritance in heaven, how could you not put your heart and soul into it? It's beautiful to be part of his project. Now, it may not be immediately clear to you what your assignment is. I can think, especially of young people, what is going to be my role in the church. But you can start doing things and you can ask the Lord to make it clear to you what he wants you to do. Young people, you, you have a responsibility already. For example, to be a good role model to people who are younger than you. To encourage others in their walk of faith. To encourage others to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Church of Christ needs young people who are steadfast, immovable, strong in faith, determined to follow Christ, and eager to help building his church. But I'm also looking at the older people, perhaps retired or semi-retired. You may not be holding down a full-time job anymore, but you can still do a lot. And if I look around here in, in this church, I see uh, some white-haired people here. I think there is a strong older generation in this church who are eager to serve the Lord in a variety of ways. Maybe you can still serve on a committee. Maybe you can do a few visits here and there. Maybe you can help organize something. Putting in your time, donating money, praying, interceding for God's work. What a vision the Lord gives us here in 1 Corinthians 15. The Son of God, our risen Savior, gathering his church from all nations also here in your church, Providence, in Strathroy, showering his gifts upon the congregation with the intent that it should be used for the benefit and the well-being of all the members. And you can be part of that. You can use your gifts and talents for that purpose. Well, maybe someone is going to say, yeah, yeah, that sounds beautiful, but the reality is different. Church work is not always easy. And church people are not always nice. Yes, we know that. Church work is not always easy. Church people are not always nice. Sometimes church people say things or they write, they write things or they do things that you just shake your head. And uh, I don't know about you, but many churches have come through a few difficult years with the pandemic and divisions about that and things that were said and done that should not have been said and done and some of us got hurt in the process. 
So that may be true, brothers and sisters, but it shouldn't cause us to give up on the church because the church is not our project. It's the project of Jesus Christ. There isn't one. And we follow a master who taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. He did not give up on his disciples when they deserted him. He gave himself fully, wholeheartedly to the task the Father in heaven had given to him. He persevered. And now he's still persevering, still gathering his church with people like you and me who are not perfect. And he asks us, he tells us to follow him in the way of faith and repentance and commitment and dedication. Always abound. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is our assignment. Now, there is one more thing in our text. There is a a future perspective about this. Knowing that in the Lord, he says, your labor is not in vain. That's a wonderful perspective that we are given here. What we do in the Lord's service has meaning. It has value. It is not in vain. Let's look at a few words here in the text. First of all, the word labor. You see that? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's a different word than the other word that he used, work of the Lord. Now he says your labor. Now the word labor could also be translated as toil. In other words, the work of the Lord, church work, toilsome. It is hard work. It it resembles the work of a farmer who has to work hard all summer, but knowing that at the end of the summer, under God's blessing, there will be a harvest. Labor. Then also that he says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It could be in vain, but in the Lord it will not be in vain. You know, there is a lot of labor in the world that is in vain indeed. Many people labor hard, they work hard, and what they do is in vain. Think of the illustration of uh, children, children playing on the beach. I think the children know that. And dad and mom take you to the beach, and it's nice, and you build a castle in the sand. Beautiful castle. It takes you an hour or so to build it, and it's beautiful. But then the tide comes in, and what happens Everything is washed away. So what you built there is is gone. It was in vain. Now, it's not just children who do that. People do that all the time. They spend years building castles or dream homes or careers or reputation. And then the tide comes in. And everything is washed away. It was in vain. And Paul says, but what you do in the Lord, it can be toilsome, but it is not in vain. Now, let's be bold about this. What he's actually saying is this, that what we do in the service of the Lord has eternal value. That's the point. 
It has a lasting value that goes beyond the grave. It's a teaching of God's word. Several places in the New Testament you find that. Matthew 25. You know when the Lord that has that vision about the sheep and the goats and the, those on the right hand side. The Lord tells them, you welcome into the house of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And then those people ask, Lord, when, when did we do that? You know what he said? When you did it to one of the least of my brothers, that's when you did it for me. You see the link? Not that we earn our salvation, of course, but what we do in this life has a reward somehow by God's grace in eternal life. Luke 16, another example, the parable of the dishonest manager. And the lesson there at the end is, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous mammon, money, so that when that fails, they may receive you in the eternal dwellings. As a link there. What we do here, the energy we spend in building up people in their faith, there is an eternal reward, an effect. Revelation 14, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Their deeds follow them. Now that's what Paul is talking about. Be abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's going to follow you. It has an effect. That's a wonderful reality, brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus is gathering his church for eternal life. And he's pleased to involve us in his work. We become his disciples, his followers. He puts us to work. You teach your children. You teach catechism students. You teach students at the school. You speak to others about the faith. You, and we encourage each other. We help each other. In this life, we serve. He gives us assignments, big ones, small ones, and he's pleased to use all that for his eternal purpose. And as I said before, the Lord uses many people with many different gifts to serve him in this project. It can be a sermon preached by a minister, for sure. It can be a home visit by an elder, or by a minister. It can be a conversation that you had with someone else when you encouraged that person in their faith or in their difficult situation. Or it could be a conversation that you had with someone where you prevented that person from sinning. Don't, don't do that. Don't go there. Or a conversation with someone outside where you we're talking about Christ and it had an effect on that person and it was involved in that person finding Christ as Savior. It could also be just a very practical form of assistance that you gave to someone. Financial, or maybe you, you bring a meal, or maybe you help someone find a job. It could be Going after a wayward sheep, someone who has strayed from the Lord. 
It could be finding a lost sheep, someone who doesn't know the Lord. It could be comforting a hurting sheep, someone who is grieving or lonely. So many things that are to be done in the service of the Lord. And every one of you has something to contribute and much more to contribute than, than you think. Now Paul says this, just do it. Put your heart and soul into it. See what you can do uh, serving the Lord and his people, knowing that your toil, your hard work in the service of the Lord will not be in vain. How will that be? What will the outcome be? What will it look like? Our text doesn't say. It's like when Paul is talking about the resurrection body. He says there's a mystery here. We don't know what it will look like. It will be a spiritual body, but exactly what it will be, we don't know. But we do know it will be amazing and fantastic. Imperishable. Immortal. Well, the same thing with how our, our toil for the Lord will, will, is a contribution to the work of the Lord. Whatever is done for Jesus Christ and his, and his people has eternal value. I cannot say more than that, but it's a wonderful thought. I have to add one thing, brothers and sisters, because we also have to be honest when we preach, this requires submission to Jesus Christ. If someone were to say, yeah, it sounds nice, but it's not for me. I prefer to live my own life, be master of my own destiny. I don't need all this, Jesus Christ, those nice words about, no, not for me. Then I have to warn you. Because you will also toil and work and do this and that and the other thing. And you will find that your toil is going to be in vain. If that is your choice, remember the words that Moses spoke to the people of God. People of Israel. If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds. So Deuteronomy 28. So brothers and sisters, we all have to make that choice. We cannot walk two paths at the same time. It's either the way of life or the way of death. It's either serving Christ, the risen one, and sharing in his inheritance, that's his promise, or still facing Christ, but then as judge. You cannot escape Christ. Nobody can. It's either you, you will meet him as your savior and share in his inheritance, or you will meet him as your judge. But you will meet Jesus Christ one day. The Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, the perishable will put on the imperishable, the mortal will put on immortality. And in the meantime, whatever we do, 
Let's be steadfast, immovable in that faith, abounding in the work of the Lord, trusting that what we do for the Lord is never going to be in vain. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for reminding us of the gospel which the apostles have preached to us, the gospel in which we stand and by which we are being saved, the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, and now using his authority to gather his church from all nations and bringing all things to the end goal which has been ordained, that you may be all in all. What a wonderful vision you give us. What a wonderful future we have. But also what a rich life you give us already, here and now, even while we wait for better things to come. What a glorious promise you give us in your word, that in Jesus Christ our efforts will not be in vain. Father, help us to be steadfast, and immovable in our faith. We are not very strong. If it depends on us, we are quite movable and not so steadfast. Help us to be firm, to stand firm in our faith. And also work in us then the desire and the commitment to be abounding in the work, the task you assign to us. Take our life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to thee. We pray this morning for those among us who might have a sense of sadness because they are not able to do what they would like to do, perhaps because of age or declining health. It is hard to be sidelined. It is hard to feel like that. It's easy to feel useless. We pray, Father, that nobody among us would feel that way. We pray that nobody here in this church would ever feel sidelined or useless. And we pray that you would convince each and every member of this congregation that they are valuable members of the flock and that each day that we receive from you we can be involved in the work that you give us, whether it is high-profile work or low-profile work, whether it gets to be mentioned in the bulletin, or whether it is done behind the scenes. Father, we pray that we may all stand firm in the faith that Jesus Christ is alive and that he wants us to abide in him. We pray that this may be a reality that is experienced by all of us from the oldest to the youngest. And therefore we pray with the words of Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with the steadfast love of Jesus Christ, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let your favor, favor be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.